the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. There are many things going on at many churches in our community. I I remember when I lived in Tennessee, the, the church didn't change their sign that we drove by on the way to work or to the grocery store. There was just a local church there. And it kept advertising Zumba classes, which is dance aerobics. Uh, I remember passing other signs where they had uh, scrapbooking clubs and swap meets. And so I started to wonder, and I searched on the internet a little bit, what is going on at churches in our area? Well, there's family movie nights. That's a little bit off season for this, but Super Bowl parties. They're hosting concerts, block parties, community festivals, exercise classes, scrapbooking classes, divorce care, a community garden, sports teams, art shows, talent shows, yard sales, blood drives, kite flying days, car care clinics, first responder celebrations, in addition to a number of other things. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, with so many things, and there's so many things that we could be doing, is it possible that churches and the people inside of them have lost their mission? That they have lost their mission? Many Christians in churches, I would argue, have lost their mission. They exist and participate without knowing why or what. We've always done it this way, so we're going to keep doing this way. We've always gone here. We've always sang that. We've always given this. But as you probably know, small distractions or small changes can make a big change over time or a distance out. Any of you ever try and build something at your house and get a measurement at the very beginning wrong, and when you got to the end, it was a mess? Maybe you were building a piece of furniture. Maybe you were trying to fix a wall. And then all of a sudden, that little quarter of an inch at the beginning made the whole thing not work. Well, I have certainly been there. See, we only have so many days. We only have so much money. We only have so much effort as individuals and as a church. And so if we waste our opportunity on things that don't matter, we may never get that opportunity back. And if we're God's church and we're not doing God's mission, then the question is, why should he keep our doors open? Why should he keep our doors open? If we're God's people and we're not doing God's mission, why should we expect him to bless us when we're not on task? Since we've been bought with a great price, what should we be doing for the Lord? Does God tell us his mission on this earth and our responsibility and our opportunity with it? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because indeed he does. He's very clear about what the church and every local church ought to be doing. This is his church. It is not my church. Every once in a while, my daughter will ask me, Dad, who's your boss? She'll ask me, Dad, who's your boss? She's like, do you own the church? I'm like, no, honey, I do not own the church. And and God is my boss. And she's like, no, 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 no. Who's your real boss? Right? Well, I serve the congregation, without a doubt, but my master is the Lord, and this church is not mine. It doesn't belong to me. It was somebody else's responsibility and opportunity to fill this pulpit before me, and if the Lord Jesus tarries his coming, somebody else will be here after me. The church does not even belong to us as a whole. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved it and gave himself for it. So let's find out what God wants his church to be doing. Would you look with me in Matthew 28? In Matthew chapter 28. You may be wondering, where's the sermon series on Solomon this morning? Where's the sermon series on Solomon? I moved it to this evening. And so if you came to hear about the life of Solomon, come back this evening at 6. 
But God moved in my heart to say, we're going to take the sermons from the evening and move them to the morning. Because, and I know there's probably good reasons for this that are bigger than just you like your pajamas, that some people don't come back on Sunday nights that I believe will be blessed by this message. And so I wanted to make sure that we all hear what the Lord has to say. So in Psalm 28, in verse number 18, the word of God says this. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you bless it now. I pray that you give us understanding by your spirit. I pray that you draw us closer to yourself. If there perhaps is someone here today that does not know you as their savior, I pray that today you'd work in their hearts. Help all of us to become more like the Lord Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. So at Jesus Christ, at, at, by this point, has been teaching and preaching. He was traveling around into different cities. He was telling people about the kingdom of God and about how they might have the forgiveness of sins. And he'd go from city to city and crowds would pour out. He would teach them. He would preach to them. And he would perform miracles, validating that he was who he said he was. He, he called certain men to follow him that were his disciples and later would become his messengers. And he laid down his life when all of history came together in that moment when the Lord Jesus, who was not killed, but instead rather laid down his life to pay for the sins of every man, woman, boy, and girl who has ever lived or will ever live, he stepped into our place. So instead of us paying for our sins, he paid for them. Instead of us suffering for our sins, he suffered for them. Because he could not bear the idea that we would have no way back to God, even though we were the ones that sinned and, and we chose to depart from God and to set our course on hell. He wanted us in heaven. And so he sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to be that great satisfaction for our sins. And he died for our sins and he did not stay dead. But though he was buried, he rose again on the third day, proving that he was who he said he was, the son of God, God in the flesh. Now, after he rose from the grave, the question is, what happened? What happened? Well, for 40 days, he appeared at different times, speaking to his disciples and gave them what their mission ought to be, what the church ought to be doing. Remember, a church is people, not a building. The word that we read about in our Bible, when it says church, I want you to always think about the people, not the building. In fact, it was hundreds of years before people had dedicated buildings in, in the early church. It was something that didn't happen until two or 300 AD that people had dedicated buildings. So what did they do? They met in people's houses. They met by the big tree in the village. They met down by the river. They met wherever they met. And the people is the church, the people or the church. And so as he gathered them together, he gave them this charge. He gave them this charge of what they ought to be doing. It begins in verse number 19 uh, with go ye therefore. Whenever we run into a, a therefore, we need to know what the therefore is there for. It refers back to something just before it. And in verse number 18, it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. 
the Lord Jesus Christ gathered around with his believers and he wanted to let them know all power, all authority, all rights in order to issue what people ought to be doing has been given unto me. This is true both in heaven and in earth. In other words, there's nowhere where Jesus does not have the authority in order to make his will done. And so he's telling them, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That is really important because he's about to send them on a mission and they're going to need to know who's behind them. They're going to need to know why they're doing this and why they have the right to make people upset with them. I don't know why it happened, but it has seemed to happen in this world that the worst thing that you could possibly do is to make somebody upset with you. Anybody notice that? You, you can't have differing opinions or else you hate somebody, right? It, it's, it's so, so what right do we have to go around and tell people, though Jesus is the one who said it, remember Jesus is the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus made the claim to be God in the flesh. No other religious leader did that. Buddha never claimed to be God in the flesh. Muhammad never claimed to be God in the flesh. Those behind the uh, Bhagavad Gita and Hinduism, they never claimed to be God in the flesh. Confucius, Lao Tzu, these philosophers, they never claimed to be divine, but the Lord Jesus did, and he made this big claim that he is the only way to God. Now, when you tell people about that, they generally don't like it. They generally don't like it. They're upset by it, especially we're talking about missions. You see here, by the way, a neat picture of some of the John and Romans that our church helped put together during a seed line a couple years ago. These are those actual Burmese booklets that tell people about Jesus being handed out in Burma just this past week. Isn't that neat to see what God did? So these are the ones that we actually cut, folded, stapled, and we have given to them, and they've made their way over into some of these unreached or barely reached areas inside of the jungles of Burma. So praise God for how he does that. But what right do these people that are telling them about Jesus, what right do they have to go in and say, the way that you've done your religion for all this time is wrong, or the way that you are living your lives is not according to what God says? What right do we have to go make people feel uncomfortable, to confront them with the idea that they're sinners? And the answer is the right that we have is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the Lord of all things himself said, I have been given all power, all authority in heaven and in earth. We go because he says we can. We go because he says to go. Now, you've experienced this before. Think back to when you were a kid. How many of you have a sister or a brother? Any of you have a sister or a brother? Any of you have one? Okay, so you probably at some point had them come and tell you to do something. Right? They probably came and told you to do something. You've got you've to feed the dog. You've got you've to clean up. You've got to go take a shower. Something like that. They came and told you, right? And you're like, who are you? Now, that whole thing changes when they come to you and they said, mom said you have to clean your room. Dad says it's time to mow the lawn. Why did it suddenly change? Because the people with the authority to make that claim came into the picture. And the Lord Jesus Christ is about to tell them to go into all the world to confront everybody with what is good news. But the good news has some bad news with it first. The good news is that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ became a man, 
But God became a man without ceasing to be God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived a sinless life. He revealed God the Father to us, and he gave his life for us that we might have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And he didn't stay dead when he gave his life. He rose from the grave. That's the message that we tell. But who cares about the forgiveness of sins unless you're first a sinner? Honestly, I had the hardest time admitting I was a sinner. Now, it was obvious that I was, but I really thought I was a pretty good person. So I had the hardest time. I sat right over here for about 18 months having a, a faithful man sit here in this pulpit and explain what sin was. And I was doing all of those things, but I'm like, That's, I'm not a sinner. But I, I finally realized that I was and that I was in need of salvation. I was in danger of being separated from God forever, not just in this life, but in eternity in a terrible place called hell. But that God had gone to such great lengths for me that I might be saved. And that is the message that we are told in verse number 19 to go and teach to all nations. Verse 19 says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. There's different kinds of teaching, but this kind of teaching has a specific goal behind it. And that is to help people become believers in Jesus Christ. We might use the word today to evangelize, right? To tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. And it says all nations. Now you and I might think about certain nations like the country of France. We might think about the country or the nation of Italy or of the Philippines or of Cambodia or of Mongolia. We might think of those. But what God is referring to here by nations is the type of people. He's thinking about nationalities. He's telling us that all sorts of different people that look different than us, that are from different places, that eat different foods, that perhaps have had different religions, that all of them are the people that he wants in heaven. Anybody want a sneak peek of what heaven's going to look like? Anybody want to see what the hosts in heaven will look like? Would you look with me in Revelation chapter 9, excuse me, chapter 7 and verse 9? In the back of your, your Bible is the book of Revelation. It gives us a glimpse into things that will happen in the end times. And we get a glimpse into what's going on in heaven as John the Apostle was caught up to see these things. In Revelation chapter 7 and verse number 9, the word of God says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. Heaven is not going to look just how this church looks. Not everybody in heaven is going to look like you or speak the language that you speak or have the background. In fact, sometimes I've, I've heard people, missionaries say, when they try and explain about Jesus to other people, they're like, oh, that's an American religion. Did you know that the first Christians didn't look like us? Right? They, they were Mediterranean. They, they were in the Bible lands. They were in modern-day Israel and Palestine uh, area. That, that's, that's where they were from. They, they, didn't, <laughs> they didn't look like us. We are some of the people that were reached by people that didn't look like us. Think about that. And God says, I want all of them. I want every last one of them. Regardless of their culture, regardless of their economic or their socio-political status, 
He says, every last one of them is somebody that I want. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible said, tasted death for every man. That means every man, woman, boy, and girl is freely offered the gift of salvation if they'll receive it from the Lord. He says, go and teach all nations. Go and teach all nations. It continues on back in Matthew chapter 28. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Baptizing them. Have you, think back to, to the warm summer days. Those have left us, uh, apparently, for this year. But think back to the warm summer days, and perhaps you can think back even further to when you were a child swimming in the pool, or, or if you were brave enough in Lake Erie with your friends, and you snuck up behind one of your friends, and they didn't know you were there. And you leapt upon them and put your hands on their shoulder, and you forced them down underneath the water. You dunked them right? And they come back up spluttering, and then they come and they turn against you, and, and the fight is on. How many of you remember horseplay in pools like that? And that is literally what it means when you hear the word to baptize. We grabbed it right out of another language. We took it into our language. It means to immerse. It means to dunk. Why did people do that? This was a custom that happened around the times of the Lord Jesus Christ to show that you were now somebody's follower, there were different rabbis and teachers that wandered around talking, and if you decided that you were going to identify with that teacher and what he taught and his other followers, you got baptized by him. And it shows, hey, now I am on this guy's team. I have chosen a side, and this is my side. And that is what baptism is. It says that you need to baptize them in the name of, notice, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So you're not only to go and teach people about Jesus to when they become believers, but those people must have a moment in their life when they publicly identify with Jesus Christ. Baptism is not necessary for salvation, but it is necessary to follow God's pattern. Baptism is not... So you don't have to be baptized to be saved. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Simply by faith, believing that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the grave praying and asking him to forgive your sins and be your savior. That's all it takes to get saved. We can think back to the thief on the cross. That thief on the cross, remember Jesus wasn't crucified alone. There were two other people that were scheduled to be executed that day as well, and they were both convicted criminals. They were career criminals. They were malefactors. Their whole life was characterized by bad deeds. And one of them just made fun of Jesus and mocked him, and the other one made fun and mocked him, but eventually changed his story and said that he believed that Jesus was the Lord and that he would come into his kingdom, and he asked Jesus to remember him. It was the simplest of requests, the simplest of prayers, but he was asking Jesus for mercy, and he said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Before the man had a chance to join a church or to get baptized, he was promised eternal life by the only one who could give it, which is the Son of God, the Prince of Life. And so we know that baptism is an important step. You don't need it to be saved, but here, that's a part of what we're doing. We see people baptized because it's a picture and a proclamation. It shows something and it says something. It shows what Jesus Christ did for us. When we stand in the water, the, body, the water crosses our body like Jesus was on the cross. We go into the water like Jesus went into the grave. We come out of the water like Jesus came out of the grave. It shows something that has happened already on the inside, on the outside. It also lets everybody know, now I belong to Jesus. That's important. 
It's important to publicly let people know that you're a believer. We live in a day when people are very tentative, they're very scared, they're very uh, afraid to offend anybody, they're afraid to, to put out their feelings too strongly in case they get backlash for it. I want you to know that that public identification with Jesus is necessary for you to live boldly for Christ. There, there's no place for timidity anymore. We need to stand and speak the truth in love, but we need to let people know where we stand in this day and age. It has always been so, even all the way back to this time, and so people need to be baptized. In Acts chapter 8, there's a pattern that we see. In Acts chapter 8, and we see it in other places as well, but here, uh, a man who has been called by God to, to speak the gospel to others, to travel and, and to tell large groups, was also told to tell a specific individual. His name is Philip. And he was told to go out into the middle of the desert, and the Spirit of God led him out into the middle of the desert, and he ran into a big caravan of a very famous person, an important person, who was in charge of all the treasury in the country of Ethiopia. And that guy happened to be reading the Old Testament, this man from Ethiopia. He wasn't a Jew, but he happened to be reading the Old Testament. He had no idea what it was saying. But Philip walks up to him, and here's the man reading, and he starts to explain the passage to him. So let's look in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down, both, into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. This is why we believe that only believers should get baptized. Only believers should get baptized. In fact, this is sort of where we got part of our name as Baptist people, is that we believe that the Bible taught a person believes and then they get baptized. But what happened is the, the Catholic Church and certain Protestant denominations they baptized babies, which is never found in Scripture. And when we taught, as our forefathers taught, that when somebody gets saved, that's the time that they get baptized. So somebody, even though they were christened or they were baptized as a baby, they come to believe for themselves later on in life, and then they're like, I need to get baptized again. And so they, the name of rebaptizers or Anabaptists became stuck on us by the people that didn't like us. Because it was like we were saying your baptism isn't good enough. It's not about whether it was good enough. It was whether it was the right order. See, I was christened as a baby, uh, but I hadn't yet made a profession of faith. I didn't believe anything as a baby. But when I came to faith in Christ as an 18-year-old young man, I realized the pattern that the Bible taught. And then I got baptized even as an adult. This is part of what God has commanded us to do. Back in this chapter of Matthew 28... It says in verse number 20, the first part of it reads, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So people are supposed to get evangelized, they're supposed to get baptized, and then what's the, the next thing? Well, we're to teach people what it means to live the Christian life. How can we live a life that pleases God? How can we live a life that makes God look good because he is good, and he's been so good to us, we want other people to know it. How can we live a life that brings glory to God, that lifts his name up, and puts us in a place where we can receive his blessing? How do we do that? Well, we need to be taught. 
Jesus said to his disciples that he had spent all of this time with over the last three years, I have commanded you things, I have taught you things, this needs to be passed on to others. And you need to be the ones to pass it on to others. And this is a pattern always inside of God's word, is that you have, um, for example, the Apostle Paul found Timothy and taught Timothy these things. Timothy became a pastor in his own right and taught the faithful men in his church, and he made sure that the faithful men in his church could also teach other people. It went Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others also, right? The pattern is the old men teaching the young men, the older ladies teaching the younger ladies. This is the pattern in God's word, and so this must be passed on. We, we help people follow after Jesus for themselves. I don't want followers of me. I want followers of Jesus Christ. Listen, at some point, I'm going to let you down. You can probably already think back to when I have. But Jesus will never let you down. You'll find all sorts of faults with Jesus' followers, but you'll never find fault with Jesus. And so we need to teach people to, to follow Jesus for themselves so that they understand how they ought to run their relationships and what kind of employee they should be, your spouse they should be, your parent they should be how they should be a part of a, a community, how they have a responsibility to pass on the good news that's been given to them. We call this process, process discipleship, where we're teaching them to be a disciple or a follower of the Lord Jesus. And this is God's mission. Evangelize, teach the gospel. Baptize, having them publicly identify with the Lord. And then disciple, meaning to teach them to become followers for themselves. You know what is really uh, grieving to me, which has happened before, is that people will come to faith in Jesus Christ because churches like ours make it a point that we want people to have eternal life. We want people to have the joy of knowing the Lord. We want them to have the joy of knowing their sins are forgiven. And so we'll teach people and we'll witness to people about the gospel. But then, now that they're new babes in Christ, now that they're newly born again, that's a phrase that the Word of God uses to describe somebody that believes on Jesus, is now they have new life, they've been born again, that person never gets grounded in the faith. And so, then somebody else comes across their path. And they're like, hey, you should come to my church. You should study the Bible with me. I go to the church of uh, the Latter-day Saints. I I'm a Jehovah's Witness. I'm this or that. And what ends up happening is they, they may have been given the clear gospel by somebody from a Bible-teaching, Bible-preaching church, but then a cult or somebody with bad doctrine will come and be the ones to disciple them, and they get nothing but confused. I remember a gentleman, I, I was almost, uh, <laughs> I was almost, I don't want to say I was assaulted, they never threatened me, but there was definitely some evil eye going on. There was a Chinese man that um, I had been talking about uh, the Lord Jesus too. He was a student down at the University of Tennessee when I was there. And he, he had made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. But when I would go over and visit him, I'd notice that the Mormons had been there. And they'd left their literature and stuff inside of there. And I found some stuff for the Jehovah's Witness. One time, as I was scheduled to meet with him in his home and study the Bible together with him, I was walking in as two elders from the, the Church of the Latter-day Saints were walking out and were staring at each other. You know, and the, the real question comes down is, will people get a clear teaching of God's word? This is completely sufficient, by the way. You don't need another book of any other kind, whether it's the Pearl of Great Price or the Book of Mormon or the Watchtower. You don't need anything else to know what God asks of you. This is his word, perfectly inspired. 
So don't let anyone tell you that you need anything else. We've had this for centuries, and it's been what God's people have based their faith on. But they must be taught all things. There's no room for ignorant Christians. There's no... They're, they're, and you know what? This society is really skeptical. Anyone notice that our society has become really skeptical? How many of you believe everything you hear on the news? How many of you believe everything that people in authority or power tell you? You bunch of conspiracy theorists. What's wrong with you? No, I think what's happened is people have become very skeptical of people in positions of authority. And you know what I say to that? Good. Good. I want you to know what God's word says. I want you to measure every message that comes out of this pulpit, whether it's from me or from somebody else, does it line up with the word of God? And if it doesn't, you need to make sure that that person is gently corrected or is not invited in again. Because truth matters. Truth matters. It really does. I, would, I want everybody at Columbia Road Baptist Church, and perhaps anybody that might be joining us by way of technology, streaming online, I want you to be theologians. I want you to be theologians. What's a theologian? Somebody who understands and has studied the things of God. I want you to be theologians. I, I make no apologies for that. Some people just want to come to church and they want to be made to feel good and they just want to have a concert and they want to go out having an emotional high and there are plenty of places where you can go to do that. But here we're going to teach and preach the word of God systematically so that you are grounded in your faith so that when you are confronted with error, you will know what is true and what is false. I became a Baptist because of the Bible. I am thoroughly convinced for many reasons that this is the word of God. I didn't grow up in a Baptist church, but the reason I became a Baptist is that I saw people who were doing it as close to the pattern given to us in God's word, and they were Baptist people here in, the, in America, and that's why I became one. If there are people in America who are doing it closer to the pattern of the New Testament, I'm going to go be one of them, and I would invite you to come with me, but I haven't found them yet. And so by God's grace, I am thankfully and by conviction a Baptist, first and foremost a Christian, but most thankfully a Baptist. You know, it is scary to tell someone about the gospel because you don't know how they're going to respond, right? You don't know how they're going to respond. Uh, I've had people very thankful that I said something to them. They were going through something, and it was rough, and at that moment, they were looking for answers. They were looking for answers. It's, it's like God had prepared them and me for that moment when we met and we struck up a conversation about it, or I happened to be visiting them because maybe they visited the church or something along those lines. Other times, I've got people do the polite nod. Oh, you're one of those people. And then they just try and diffuse the situation, and, and they, you know, shuffle me along. Then I've got people that were not happy I was talking with them. A couple times, uh, I've, I've had people say unkind things to me, and those unkind things that people say to you can sometimes make you afraid to say something again. But you know what made a difference for me? When someone was with me. When I was a young Christian, I was invited out by the pastor at the church that I was at to go visit people that had previously visited the church, and they had asked for a visit, and I went with them. And sometimes they liked what they had heard, and sometimes they didn't like what they'd heard. And uh, I, I felt a little more liberty to speak because my pastor was with me. God gives a promise at the end of verse 20 saying, and lo, 
I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Did you know that when God's work is carried out, that God is there helping? In fact, if we're honest about it, God is there doing his work and we're helping. We are doing the light load. He is doing the heavy load. It is the spirit of God that works inside of people to hear the gospel and to believe and to ask for the forgiveness of sins. It's the spirit of God that shows people this is the next step. Regardless of what people might think about you, publicly identify with Jesus. Get baptized. And it's the Spirit of God that will teach and guide people into all truth, as he promised, which is that process of discipleship. Sometimes we forget that we're not, we're not the heavy lifters in this. And God promises that he will be with us. So, so what do we do with all of this? What does this mean for a local church. We're talking about the idea that a church or even individual Christians, they can lose their mission with all the other stuff that's going on. So let's, let's bring this all back in and look at three quick points of application. The first thing is to align your mission with God's mission. Align your mission with God's mission. I had a buddy in the military, grew up with him, uh, real, real close friends. In fact, we grew up all throughout elementary school together in the same neighborhood, all the way up. We went to college together and roomed together at Ohio State. We were, we were friends together for a very long time. And since we were kids, he was always infatuated with the military. I mean, like, when we would sneak off, sorry, Mom, when we would sneak off to, like, uh, on sleepovers to go play in the woods, you know what we were doing? We weren't getting drunk or smoking out in the woods. We would be dressed up in World War II surplus military clothing with like maps doing land nav courses just for fun with paintball guns, okay? That's the kind of nerds we were. He was so into that, and the day came when he enlisted in uh, the ROTC program, went to Ohio State, and then he went off into the military. And he, like so many other people, ran into a problem when he got out of the military. He had lost his mission. When you were in the military, they told you what you were to be doing. This is the goal. This is where we're headed. You've got a team around you. You've got structure around you. Let's get it done. We're all pulling in the same direction. And then he got out. And I'm not saying he made a bad choice to get out. He had seen some things and it was hard. And he, he lost his mission. And for a while, he struggled. It became very bad. All of us were designed to be on mission. You were hardwired to exist for a purpose, to have relationship with God and to do his mission. And one of the things that happens to people is either we have no mission and we wander aimlessly through life and we wonder why we're so miserable, or we get on the wrong mission. In fact, I'm sort of more scared of succeeding at the wrong thing than I am at not having a mission. It's easier to succeed at the wrong thing because you're like, I'm doing this, this work and I'm achieving but I'm headed in the wrong direction. I'm headed in the wrong direction. We need to align our mission with God's mission. What does he say we ought to be doing? Well, as a people, as a local church, we ought to be involved in evangelizing, telling people the good news of salvation, seeing people baptized, taking that first step of obedience in their faith, and seeing people discipled. That's what we ought to be doing. We need to align our mission with God's mission. So the question is, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? I think it's good every once in a while to sit down and ask myself a question, what am I doing with my life? Maybe I have plans. 
that I've written out, and these are my goals and objectives, and I'm doing all this stuff. Any of you like that? You have quarterly goals and yearly goals? Any, any planner people with me like that? Right, right, you're too afraid to, to... Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm like that. But then you don't actually do the things you wrote down. <laughs> Guilty, right? And you have to sit down and be like, okay, I've uh, kind of gotten off track here. It's easy to get distracted. You know how we talked about how a little change in the very beginning of a project can lead to a large problem at the end? That happens with believers. And we get off just a little bit. And if we don't correct it and we let it go and go and go, we find ourselves far away from God and in a miserable place and very unsatisfied. So we need to realign ourselves with God's mission. And what is that mission? Well, it's to see people evangelized, baptized, and discipled for God's glory. We bring that down in the second point to what we're doing here in our community, what we're actually doing as a group of people. We need to evangelize, baptize, and disciple in our community. And we have a part to play in this locally. If you're one of God's children, if by faith you've asked him to forgive your sins and be your savior, you have a part in his work. It was going on before you and I arrived at this life. And if he tarries his coming, it'll be continuing on after. people. Will, but we can get in on what God is doing. There's no greater work to be a part of. There's no greater work to be a part of. And established churches need to reach their own community. We'll talk in further ones about how, how do even churches get started? How do this church get started? How, how do other churches get started around the world? What, where do missionaries play into this? We're going to talk about that. But established churches like ours need to reach their community with the gospel. Columbia Road Baptist Church needs to get the good news to North Olmstead. We need to get to the good news to the people that are in Westlake, to the people that are in Rocky River, to the people in Fairview Park, to those that are in Parma, to those on the west side of Cleveland, North Ridgeville, Olmstead Falls, Columbia Station. Uh, we could go to Vermilion. That'd be fine too. We've got a few people from there, right? You can go all around and even further out east, wherever it is that God sends you throughout your day as a emissary, as an ambassador, as a part of Columbia Road Baptist Church, you carry the influence of this church and the gospel with you. You will meet people that I will never meet. Because I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute, telling people about Jesus, isn't that what we pay a, a preacher to do? No, actually, the Bible pattern is that the pastor equips the saints to do the work of the ministry. Because I, I'm only one person. And even, even though Steve is probably about capable twice as much as I am. Everybody said amen. You all know it's true. Steve's about twice as capable as I am. That's still only three people between, between the two of us of work. So what do we do with that? Everybody has a part to play. Wherever you go, you can have a part in God's work. In fact, that's how God, God designed it. We must tell people the gospel. We must encourage people to step out by faith and be baptized. And we must encourage people to get discipled. Any other lesser goal is a byproduct of what goes on. Be careful not to make a byproduct into a goal. You say, I want to help people. Me too. Me too. 
In fact, um, me and, and another person in our, our church this week, we went to a family that is grieving and having hardship, and some kids recently became orphaned, and they're trying to get uh, custody uh, by another family member, and they have to have X number of beds in their home in order to make sure that um, they can adopt or have custody over those kids so they don't go into the system, and they needed beds, and they didn't have it, and they didn't have money, and we went and we did that. You know, praise God. He allowed I love people that have a heart. In fact, that wasn't my idea. Somebody called me and said, could we do this? That was awesome. You know, we have, we have people that deal with those that are going through great mental anguish or those that are homeless or those that need help with their bills. And I love helping people, but that is not the goal. God wants more than people just having gas in their cars or groceries on their table or beds in their homes, though he wants those things too. He wants people to have eternal life. He wants people to publicly identify with him, to live that victorious Christian life through being discipled. All of those things are important, but we know what is the most important. So how do we do this? Choose five people. Choose five people in your life that you wish knew the Lord. Or they know Jesus, but you wish that they were back in church. Or... They know Jesus, and perhaps they go to church from time to time, but they've never really been grounded in the things of Scripture. They've never really been taught what the Bible has to say. They've never been discipled. Find five people that fit that category and start praying for them. Start praying that God would open their hearts. Start praying that God would give you an opportunity to say something, the boldness to say something. Pray that God would use you to help them see the love of Jesus Christ and to accept his gift of salvation. Take those five, because we can do all sorts of things as a, as a church as a whole, but we will still never know all the people that you know. And there's nothing more powerful than a personal invitation. I, I, I think that it's a good thing to give gospel literature to people. I think it's a very good thing to give gospel literature to people. But even more important, so let's say, for example, that um, you're, you're at a restaurant, and uh, you have a server at this kind of restaurant. You're, you're eating fancy for one time, right? So you got a server at your restaurant, and you, you leave a gospel tract, and we have them out by the, the doors. You, you leave that on the table for them with a generous tip, by the way. All of God's people better be generous tippers. If you don't leave a nice tip after you eat, do not leave anything that says Columbia Road Baptist Church on it. If you can't afford to leave a nice tip, then don't eat out. Or leave a track from Cleveland Baptist Church. That will be fine, too. No, Brother Pete's my friend. That's fine. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's going to get back to him that I keep saying that. But you know what's even more powerful? When that person comes over and you look them right in the eye and you say, Hey, God absolutely changed my life. I would love for you to read this. And you know what? Even more than that, would you, be, would you be willing to come be my guest sometime at my church? Oh, you are interested in the things of God? That's exciting. You know, I have a four-lesson Bible study that my church gives out that I would love to sit down and, and maybe go over with you uh, over coffee or something. Would you be interested in that? Something like that is much more powerful than just leaving it on, on the table. Now, you don't always have time, and I understand that, but how many of you are here today because somebody invited you to come in person. They invited you to come. I'm here because of that. I'm here. Somebody invited me. And you may have come because you, you, you were given a, a gospel track where you work or something like that, but maybe a parent brought you. 
right? That was a personal relationship. There's nothing quite as strong as that. The last thing is we need to evangelize, baptize, and disciple globally. There is a much bigger world than just the west side of Cleveland, and we all know that. There's a much bigger world than northeastern Ohio. There's a much bigger world than all of Ohio, right? I, I recently had the privilege, and again, I thank you for extending the grace to me to be gone for that long, um, to travel to India, to be a part of a, a mission that was supported by our church and a great work that's going on over there. It opens your eyes to see what God is doing everywhere. But the reality is we all can't do that. We all can't go to India. Some of us can. And I believe that we all ought to be open to God calling us into full-time vocational Christian service as a missionary, as a preacher. I believe we all ask, ought to ask the Spirit of God if we should do that. And if he says yes, we ought to be willing to prepare and to go for that. Absolutely. In fact, uh, I've said it before, but while I was in India, I asked the Lord, Lord, do you want me to stay here? Because I saw all sorts of ways that I could make a huge difference over there. You know, uh, for whatever reason, they, they really have at least in this part of the country, they really have a lot of respect for Americans. And I'm like, listen, I know plenty of Americans that you probably ought not respect. <laughs> but for whatever reason, they thought we were a big deal, and the fact that we have degrees from American universities and all of this stuff makes a big deal to some of them, right? And, and I saw I could do a lot over here, and I asked the Lord, do you want me to stay here? And he said, no. He said, I want you to, to go back where, where I've called you. That's, that's exciting that he still wants me here. But that means that somebody needs to do the work over there, too. And not just do the work, but pray for the work. I cannot stress to you enough that prayer is not the pregame. It is where the victory is won. Prayer is not the preparation for warfare. It is the battle in itself. All of our failures are prayer failures. And I'm being shown that more and more as I get closer and closer to God. That it all begins. We need to pray. I used to think that missionaries would come to our churches and ask for financial support, and they just ask for prayer because it's sort of spiritual and they're, they're required to ask for that. But then I started to meet some missionaries, and they, they weren't actually that thrilled about the money we send them. I mean, they liked it, but they, they were even more thrilled when they found out that our church actually prayed for them. That we went to the throne of God himself and asked God to move heaven and earth, which he does, in order to meet the needs of his children. That meant the most. So we, we need to pray. We can't all go. Some of us should. But we can most certainly all pray. And so when we talk about things like the work of God that's going on in India, or, or just recently, um, Brother Joe Prudentino was, was with us, one of the mem We've supported him since the 90s financially. And he has a need right now. Um, and they're, they're building and, and things like that. And some of uh, the people in our church were just excited about what God was doing over there. And they're like, hey, why didn't we take up a love offering? For him, which, if you're not familiar with that idea, is people just throw down the money they have or write checks or uh, give online just for that. And you know, when they brought it up to me afterwards, I'm like, that was a fantastic idea. We should have done that. Man, if only your pastor was more spiritual, he could have picked up on all of it, right? But, uh, Brother Marvin, you've been there, haven't you, to Brother Prudentino's place out in the Philippines? Is it worthy of our, of our prayers and financial support? Amen. Amen. I think it's great. I think we ought, to, we ought to give towards that, towards the need that they have if you weren't able to be here when he was with us. Very exciting about what God's doing. You know, missionaries 
in churches like ours, they get supported by God calling them, they pray with their pastor, they get sent out of a local church, and they go to other churches and say, God has called us to wherever. Pick a place. Zambia. God has called us to Zambia, right? And so they go to the church, and they come in, and they say, God has called us to Zambia. This is what we hope to do in Zambia. This is our, our plan. These are the people. Let me preach something from the word of God to you so you know what my heart is. And then churches will decide, perhaps, to take them on for a percentage of their monthly support. Maybe they need uh, $3,500 a month, or $4,000 a month, or $5,000 a month for living expenses and for ministry Fund in the, and so churches will band together and they'll commit X number of dollars a month and you have to go from church to church to church and we're going to hear more about this next week of somebody's uh, actual process and what they went through. And so that's why they come. And do you know how the churches get the money to support them? Do you know how the churches get the money to support missionaries? I, I, want, you to, I want you to look to your left. Your other left. I want you to look to the right. Everybody turn around and look at the people in the very back. Right? I want you to look up here. It's us. It's the generosity of God's people giving so that the gospel work might go forward. We talked about where you can find $5 to give. Because wh why did I pick $5? Well, if you've never given anything to missions, I want to encourage you with a solid step of something you can take. This is above and over the tithe. The tithe already belongs to God. You really can't give the tithe. You have to bring the tithe because you can't give something that doesn't belong to you. And what the Bible says, and for those of you that are not believers, we don't want a dime of your money. But what God says is that when God provides for us, 10% of whatever he gives to us an increase already belongs to him. And we bring that to further his work. That's something that God has decided. We didn't decide that. He set the amount in his word. So... This is above that. This is something we do by faith. We'll talk more about that in another sermon. But if you've never given anything, I want to challenge you to start giving $5 a week to support the 99 different mission projects that we have in our church. $5 a week. You say, can I find $5 a week? Well, yes. You, you probably can. You probably can. You know how I know that? Do you see those rascals bring up that, that coffee cup? Eli, ask me how much my preferred coffee drink costs. Eli, ask me how much. $6.45. That's how much it costs. That's a waste of money. Isn't that dumb? That is dumb. Raise your hand if that's dumb. Some of you won't raise your hands because I see you in line. We all go to the same one. If you've never given, that's a great place to start. Some of you could do much more than that. But you know what I'd rather have? You start than thinking about starting. I'd rather have you give than thinking about giving. I'd rather, and, and God will provide. He will most certainly provide. Maybe you used to give. We've noticed that giving has dropped off towards missions. Other parts of the church are great, but towards missions has dropped off when it's come through COVID. And I understand that it's been hard for a lot of people. But as things come out of COVID territory, and as we're back in person and passing the plate, I want to encourage you to get back at it. If you've got to start over again at $5, do it. That is just fine. For those of you that are already giving, praise God for you. Thank you for furthering the work of God around the world. Great job. Jesus 
says to those kind of people, well done, thou good and faithful servant, when they step into eternity. Thank you for your giving. Keep at it. If you want, give more. Add that, add that $5 onto it a week, or perhaps more. I'm telling you, you will never be disappointed that you supported God's work around the world. You will never be disappointed. When you stand before God at the end of this life, and all of us will, to give an account of what we did with what we were given, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you, <laughs> you're going to be hugged in heaven by people that look nothing like you, but look like these girls or this man in heaven, and they'll say, you know what? You didn't get your $6.45 coffee that week, you sugar fiend. You didn't get it. And you instead decided to sacrifice so that God could have that money. And that funded God's work. And so then gospel tracts were printed and they were taken around, they were shipped around the world. And then they were given to people that were trained by the, the, the mission dollars that were given. And then they're given out to little girls that have smiles on their faces like that when they see you in heaven. Amen. And you'll say, it was more than worth it. It was more than worth it. What is God doing? What is his mission? Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? We have what we call a time of invitation in our church where we invite you, in your own heart, in your own mind, we invite you to act on whatever it is that God is speaking to you about. Perhaps you're here this morning and you, you aren't a Christian. You aren't a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe you're watching online because someone shared this link with you. Maybe you're here because somebody invited you. I don't know what it is. But if you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, I will first of all want to thank you for being here. And I want you to know that the greatest thing that you could ever do is to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and be your Savior. <laughs> that is where life, new life, really begins. I was a skeptic, I was an atheist, I wanted nothing to do with God, and I'll tell you what, the Lord Jesus Christ won me over. His spirit, his word, his people, they won me over. And all of the reasons that I kept to try and not believe melted away in the light of his love and his gift, his sacrifice. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, you say, I don't know for sure that I'm saved. I don't know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven. But I would like to know. I'd like to be sure. I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to come to you. But if you say, that's me, I'm not sure, but boy, I'd like to be sure. I'm not sure that I'm born again, but I'd like to be. With no one looking around, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up and say, that's me. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm searching. Is there anybody like that today? I just want to pray for you. Anybody like that? Say, that's me. I'm not sure, but I'd like to be. I'd like to know if God is real. I'd like to know if Jesus could save me and change my life. Anybody like that here? Just slip their hand up right back down. Thank you. Believer, God is doing a great work, and I want to get in on it. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? 
it's not what you say you're doing. It's not what I say I'm doing. It's what I'm actually doing. It's what I'm spending my time on, my energy on, my money on. That, that shows whether or not I'm really on God's mission. If you were to audit your life, what is your mission right now? Or maybe you're like my poor friend, and praise God, he's doing so much better now. But he was without a mission for a while. And he was broken while he was without a mission. All of us need that. We're designed to be on God's mission. Maybe that's you. You say, I, wanna, I need to align myself on God's mission. I, I don't know. Maybe I haven't had a mission. Maybe my mission's been something else. But now today, Lord helping me, I am aligning with what God has. I'm not going to call you or call you out or embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Would you slip your hands up? Heads bowed, nice closed. That's me. I'm aligning with God's mission today. God's got my attention. That's me. Amen. Anybody else? Thank you. I want to get in on what God's doing. Anybody else like that? The Lord sees your hand. Amen. Perhaps you're here and, and the Lord is calling you to go. The Lord is calling you to go. It doesn't have to be to, to India, but the Lord is calling you into full-time missions and you feel that tug uh, that, that desire, he's put that in your heart. And if God has called you to be a missionary, don't stoop to be a king. It's a great calling to serve the Lord. If that's you today, and I just want to pray for you, would you slip your hand up and say, God's calling me. Anybody like that? Say, God's calling me. Pray for me. Amen. Thank you. Father, we give this time of invitation to you. Thank you for the decisions that have been made, the moving in people's hearts. I pray that you'd help us to be cheerful givers, faithful, constant prayer warriors, and witnesses here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.